Berlaine Sabuliak was born in California, raised in Hawaii, and then moved to Australia as a teenager. She grew up in a holistic household, as her father was trained as a chiropractor. She earned her veterinary degree and a diploma in education from the University of Queensland in 1981. After graduation, she moved to New Zealand and did locum work before moving back to Queensland and establishing two mixed animal practices in the Gladstone area. After moving to Brisbane in 1996, she did locum work before establishing her practice, Animal Wellness, in 2010. She continues to be actively performing referral work and teaching. She has an intense interest in dentistry and earned a membership by examination in 2000. She is certified in acupuncture by IVIS and has training in shiatsu, twina, aromatherapy, advanced remedial massage, Chinese and Western herbal medicine, and is a qualified naturopath. Dr. Sabuliak lectures extensively, both nationally and internationally, and has been involved in providing volunteer veterinary care in Bali, the Cook Islands, and Northern India with the Vets Beyond Borders organization. She has also served in numerous roles in organized veterinary medicine in Australia. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Elaine Sabuliak as we discuss her childhood, education, and extensive career history. Dr. Sabuliak, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's good to finally catch up with you, Neil. Yes. So you were one of the few people that I've met that uh, was raised in a holistic family. Yeah, my dad was a chiropractor. Um, yeah, they were Eastern European origin, except they... Mum was born in Harbin, Manchuria, China, and so she had nannies as a very young child, and she's Polish, and my dad was from Lithuania, and, you know, these are the new Americans that, that learned that they had to take on skills and be adaptable type of people. So so after mum was born and raised a bit in China, they went, there were pogroms everywhere and the Poles got killed by the Russians and what have you, you know, I guess what's going on with the Ukraine right now. And so they went to Chicago, her, her mum and her dad. Her dad was actually a physiotherapist by some training, but also an engineer and um, my dad was born in New York, so his family also went to have a better life in America. And he, after he was in, in the war, looking after um, POWs in Hawaii, actually, in Diamond Head <laughs> in 1940s, um, he studied chiropractic then, um, and then that was all part of, you know, my upbringing. So I was born in 1958 in California. And because my dad had such a good time in Hawaii during the war, they decided they would move there. So I grew up in Hawaii until I was about 15. And then they moved us to Australia because university education was actually free at that time. And so it was their retirement plan. So my brother and I went to university here in Queensland, Australia, in Brisbane, and my brother studied dentistry. So that was kind of interesting. He, My dad always was like, you know, you can be whatever kind of doctor you want to be. So so my brother was, was destined to do medicine, but there was a restriction on the number of external um, students that were not 
you know, native Australian to um, to become a, a doctor. So they didn't actually let him in. He only had one year at the University of Hawaii, and he was competing with people that had bachelors and PhDs and masters. So he was low down on the list there. Ah. Um, yeah, so that's that's what happened. Um, so he ended up doing dentistry. So, so that's how I ended up with an interest in dentistry because I acquired all of his books and studied, you know, dentistry from his books after I graduated vet school. Where did your father go to chiropractic school? Um, Palmer, I think. So. So I always knew that there was more to, I just had to let my dog in, um, more to, you know, medicine and how to fix things um, because I remember waking up one morning with a bit of a crook neck and my dad, you know, did the quick fix and I was like, oh, my God, instantly better. That's pretty cool. Um, and then he'd do that lift with you cross your arms and and the chiros pick you up by your elbows and, and fix your back. So I used to get my dad to do that one for me. That was kind of that was kind of fun. And also mum, I guess because her mother was a good cook and there was um an interest in, you know, having soups and it was like traditional medicine, like, you know, if if, if it's if you've got a sore throat, quick, take some vitamin C's uh, and this is my dog. Um, vitamin C and, and chicken soup, you know, that's what what we knew you sick you you take food medicine you know this is this is what you need to eat this is what you need to do so i just that was just natural and also growing up in hawaii where there's huge glass jars full of lihi moi um different types of plums and stuff to suck on and to eat and ginger you know ginger was a big part and in hawaii there was lots of sushi and just you know different types of foods were just normal yeah so when you moved to Australia, was he able to practice chiropractic there then? So so interestingly, I think there's different um, registration things when you go from state to state in America at the time. I guess it's still like that. So yeah. when we moved from California, where I was born in Redwood City, to Hawaii, he couldn't practice for a number of months. So he ended up doing whatever he could to raise his family. Um, I guess he had something from the government as a ex-army person, but um, I remember he did di different kind of jobs. Like I was quite young, but um, fuller brush salesman, and he ended up selling um, property land. And he and a friend made a cemetery business. <laughs> they were selling memorial property, and then this is what happened. We ended up going to Sydney, Australia where he and his friend kind of opened a company selling Memorial Park property. So he became a salesman. Um, so I think chiropractors kind of are taught that way in some, you know, there's some business principles in chiropractic college of the ones that I've met sort of in Australia. So they're quite, um, you know, into, I think they called it network chiropractic so anyway he didn't really work as a chiropractor after that he he did um, make more money in real estate so he ended up doing that mm -hmm. and because we lived in sydney for a couple of years when i was quite young and then went back to hawaii um he knew that this was not a bad place to move to and the cost of living was relatively better than living in hawaii so 
you know, real estate was quite expensive in Hawaii and, and the price of food was quite expensive as well and also limited, um, you know, university. When we were in high school in Hawaii, most of the kids um, applied to go, you know, overseas, which is, you know, mainland, United States, and lots of our friends from high school went to MIT and Stanford and, you know, Yale and all over the mainland. And so when it came to be our turn to go, so I was about 15 and my brother was a bit older, um, dad was looking at the prices of those universities and went, oh, Australia is free. <laughs> so, so that's what we ended up doing. <laughs> Did you enjoy your veterinary training? Um. Yes and no. I didn't like moving to Australia initially. That was a you know, moving at the age of fifteen is quite a difficult age. Um, especially in Hawaii. Th- that was the age of driving. So I actually had a small car and I was quite um interested in, in high school politics and was running for, you know, vice president, president and was fairly popular at that time in my local high school. And I didn't want to move from Hawaii, so we moved to Australia where they had school uniforms. And this was the age of, you know, the 70s, flower power and, yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Cosby Stills, Nash & Young, (laughs) Joni Mitchell, Elton John, and, you know, just the whole scene in Hawaii was my, you know, my awakening at 15. And so it was a really bad age to move and I didn't really want to be in Australia. And the high school here, so it was grade 11 and 12, the high school here was public school, which was free, which was okay, I guess. But um, they were very strict and the teachers used to make the students line up outside the um, the room and they'd kind of bark orders at you and you had to wear this really strict uniform and they had a headmistress measuring how long the skirt was. And at that time, you know, there was twiggies and mini skirts and things like that. And and I was just appalled. It was weird. And so it took me I just I, I just studied a lot in high school, grade 11, 12, because I wasn't happy. But I liked I liked studying and I liked biology and zoology. And I took the subjects I took, um, I thought, well, I, I probably like the sciences. And, and I've always liked looking after animals. And I had a dog in Hawaii. And I also had a pet bird that I trained, finger trained, little budgie, um, that they used to breed in my bedroom. <laughs> when I was in high school in Hawaii, I made some woodwork and I made a stand for them and bookcases and things like that. So um, so I think when I looked at the fact that I liked fixing things and I liked animals, that I was kind of destined to go into vet school. Um, so finally when I left the regime of the high school where you had the strict uniforms, where I did very well, I got tops of most of my subjects in, in you know, here down the Gold Coast. When I um when I got out of high school and into university, it kind of felt like I was back in the freedom of what it was like in high school in Hawaii. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, great. So what can I do now? And so I took on um you know scuba diving and all these other activities that were on at uni, and I kind of had a pretty good time. <laughs> so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the vet school and I enjoyed the freedom and living away from home. Um, from mum and dad and just um, the activities and and mixing with like-minded people because I guess in in high school on the Gold Coast I'd say maybe 10% are 
if that, maybe 20%, went on to university. Not everybody did here. And a lot of people dropped out in grade 10 um, and didn't go on. And so I so I didn't have the peer group that I had when I was in Hawaii before we moved. My peer group in Hawaii was quite smart. You know, these kids were MIT grads and Stanford grads and, you know, world leader type people. And so yeah. in in this high school, this public high school, um, I had a small group of friends eventually when I settled in. Um, but at uni it was like, oh, this is my this is more my tribe. And so yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed vet school. Um and it was quite uh, all a new experience. We didn't have, you know, large animal exposure growing up. I didn't have horses or play with cows or anything. Or, or goats. So that large animal stuff was interesting. I went out to Longreach as part of our prac work and um, got to muster, ride some horses and fix some sheep. And you just had to be a dab hand at, at everything on a farm. Um, so that was, that was an interesting experience. Yeah. So, but I never saw myself doing large animals as a, as a vet. So that, that part was interesting when I did graduate and ended up doing sort of some work around the place and had to do large animals. And it's like, Oh, okay. It's not that hard. I could probably do this. (laughs) I think having the parents that I had and the fact that, you know, they were new Americans and have a go at stuff and, and the chiropractic attitude of my dad was quite helpful so I inherited that and that was role modeled to me that that you could pretty much do anything if you if you tried and you sat down and you know worked at it type of thing so that was sure. good and yeah mum was also a, a school teacher so I think that really does help in you know growing up because you get that basic you know pre-prep kindy type stuff I think it's quite important to do your early education stuff which is why I'm, you know, hands-on a bit with the grandkids because I think that's really, <laughs> yeah. really important, yeah. Was there so, any uh, – did you did you feel any conflict in school having been raised kind of holistically, um, you know, with kind of the, tra- the traditional yeah, veterinary training? Yeah, definitely. I, I studied because I was interested in lots of different things and how things work and what else is there. And um, so I – after you know at, at uni i took on various subjects just on my own with the with the local college i learned massage um and i thought oh that's really interesting in those days though it wasn't really accepted people didn't really understand that it was a remedial massage <laughs> and i thought oh this makes sense i could even offer that as a part time job because i was also even though university was free i still more or less paid my way with um living expenses so I, I didn't want to rely on my parents for that so so I had to pay for my accommodation and my food so I took part-time jobs which included things like waitressing and I thought oh, I could do this massage but then I found pe- the people didn't understand that it was remedial and so I stopped kind of advertising that <laughs> you know young and pretty <laughs> yeah yeah but, but now I think it's it's very much recognized as a, a remedial therapy, but wasn't back then in those days, I think. Yeah. Oh, sure. And even I'm thinking about nutrition and what your yeah. attitude must be like now and what you were yeah. taught in school. Oh, yeah. It was like, what, kibble? We were just supposed to feed dry food? That 
yeah. Well, you had to learn about the macros and the micros and the trace minerals. So that nutritional part in, you know, large animal and small animal medicine was a, was a good background. However, it never really made sense to just eat cereal, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you get the cereal on, you know, it's like 60 to 80% carbohydrates. and But that wasn't really known back in those days. You know, I graduated in 1980, 81, you know, so it the ketogenic diet wasn't really known. Um, however, to me it made sense that you would make soups and feed your dog whatever you were eating because that's what dogs always ate in the past before they had – dried food kibble and why should you spend extra money you just make more and give some to the dog in general providing that you ate some meat you know (laughs) yeah so it was just logical to me that you just fed your dog normal food right um just yeah so that was interesting and that continued to go on um yeah with karen becker's advice and mercola.com and you know since since the C virus, all these people have been deplatformed. But I was always interested in listening to those um, people and reading their websites, and I've always been interested in that. And what else can we do? I remember my dad actually, as a Cairo, making a thing called tiger's milk. I'm not really sure yeah. what was in it. But did did you have that in America? No, but I've to, heard the term before. Yeah, he used to blend it up every morning before he went off to work with his real estate sort of jobs. Yeah, tiger's milk. And he made sure we'd eat a banana. So he used to mention that. That must have been part of his training with um, potassium. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you must have a banana a day. <laughs> a banana and an egg and you'll be fine, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so where did uh, where did life take you after graduation? Yeah, so I met my husband when I was in final year. He was um, a GP doctor from Alberta, um, Edmonton, actually, Steve Marston's area, um, traveling and kind of hitchhiking around Australia, seeing Australia. So he had just come from Hawaii as well. So he'd done his year internship in, um, in, in a hospital in Edmonton, Canada, and then was traveling. And I was finishing my um, degree and I was – you know, studying for my finals and things. Um, so he was smitten and I, and I, I found it hard to study when he was around. So I sent him off to Longreach, which is a large um, sta- sheep station, uh, you know, that's hundreds of kilometres wide. And he went out there fencing and we kept in touch and he was romancing me at great distance in public phone booths as he travelled. <laughs> 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 So I was doing the intern couple of weeks with a with this lovely gay friend of mine in vet school, and um, my husband was I think he was in Innisfil, which is a place of high rain, and he found a secondhand trumpet, and he used to play the trumpet, and so he would phone me while I was doing intern and serenade me with the secondhand trumpet <clears throat> in a phone booth. So that was quite romantic. Um, so when I graduated, we we got together, and he could practice. Um, in New Zealand and so could I um and so we ended up going to New Zealand where we both could work because we graduated we both had like a thousand dollars that was all we had and so we hitchhiked around New Zealand ended up getting married in Kerry Kerry in Bay of Islands um North Island of New Zealand quite beautiful um Mm -hmm. and we we did different locums around the place and then 
we went back to Australia after that and took various jobs um, and ended up going to um, central Queensland where we could both work. There seemed to be an opening for both of us in that one area because it's sometimes hard to figure out, you know, where you want to live and you have to both have a job. And we liked the the beach and it was near Heron Island. And we thought, oh, well, because I really like snorkeling, you know, growing up in Hawaii, I used to go to Hanelma Bay and um, we used to go to the beach, you know, quite often on like weekends and stuff. So I needed to be near the ocean and that's that was fine with my husband. So we ended up in an industrial community town, but it was a beautiful area in central Queensland in a place called Boyne Island. And we raised our kids until my daughter Zoe, so I've got two kids, Zoe and Ben, and um, Zoe was starting high school. There wasn't actually a high school where we lived. So around that time I had inherited my brother's dentist dentistry books and I took an active interest in in teeth at that time I think we had one um, lecture in dentistry in small animal dentistry in the vet school yeah. and, and you know dentistry is like five years and vets like five years and the first year or two you do subjects with the dentists um, so physiology and that sort of you know biochemistry so I realized there was a lot more to teeth at that time. So we're talking about 19, I want to say 86, 87. And we started a few, a few vets around the world started inventing dentistry about that time. And I would say I kind of was part of that group. Um, I just got my local dental technician who was a friend and would come to dinner sometimes and I'd, I'd have an, an orthodontic challenge in a dog and say, you know, what do I do with this? And and say when I had an enamel hypoplasia, um, large breed dog, um, I said to my local dental friend, what do I do with this? And then we just we just made it up. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so we made dental appliances um, and just based on human dentistry. Um, and then we used, you know, the early stages of composite resins and things. And then it started to become a thing, dentistry. And then there was no high school in central Queensland. My daughter had to go to like a boarding school during the a week border. So I decided we'd move, we'd move us down to the city. We moved to, um, to Brisbane. And there was also the problem of being on call a lot. So I had two children and I was the only vet in the area. Um, and my husband was a 50% partner of a medical practice. So we kind of were very busy. I don't know how we survived. We raised two kids. We actually, you know, we used the community, you know, to help us yeah. a bit. And I, and I got a nanny and that's how we survived. So I remember there was one time my son was still a baby um, and I had the clinic under the house initially. I built a little vet clinic under our raised house and I had the clients um, to help me. So I had to do a cesarean section in, in a bitch and my husband got called out to the smelter. He was the smelter doctor. So he was on call 50% of the time and I was on call almost 100% of the time. <laughs> but it was a small community so yeah. the on call wasn't too bad but still it was there um and i did have some new grads come and work it was hard to get vets in the country you know but um i did mm -hmm. tend to have one vet to help me most of the time but they they did tend tend to be new grads <clears throat> so you had to you know hold their hand and help them quite a lot 
So uh, yeah, this one night I was doing a Caesar. I had the owner help me to, you know, catch the puppies and revive them. And then my husband was called out and then my son woke up. So while I was sewing the, the bitch up, I had the owner go upstairs and look after my baby. <laughs> yeah. You just, <laughs> you got through stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we look back in and I go, how did we do all of that? We were very busy. Yeah. But we did. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So you moved to Brisbane. Yep. So I moved to Brisbane thinking um, there was Gary Wilson um, was working at the university, um, associate professor developing his dentistry and dentistry became um, a membership of the Australian College of Vet Science where, you know, the specialists are. And so I thought, yeah, I'll make this official. And so write the exams, which I passed and um, went over to America. The dental forum in America is outstanding. You know, they they would have workshops and it was very good experience to go and join and do that. And I became friends with a lot of those leaders and um, continued to develop the, the dental part of what I do. And at the same time, I was studying acupuncture with IVAS and that was also quite a good experience with um, Uruwaka and, and, and those guys, made some good friends in that, in that group. And then Steve Marston actually was just developing his practice up in Edmonton. And because we have relatives up there, when, when we go back to Canada to visit my husband's family, I, I dropped in when Stephen was just putting his floors down on his practice, the natural path up there. Um, yeah, hung out with him a little bit for a few days and just continued to develop that interest in holistic modalities. And, and there was a college not far from where I was working in Brisbane for humans. And so, you know, Steve is a naturopath. He studied for humans. And I thought, oh, well, that's a way I can gain more knowledge, figure out what else is there, what can I do. So I ended up taking just subjects at the human naturopath college and I took nutrition and I took Western herbs and also more remedial massage and so also acupressure and and reflexology. So I, I just took subjects for interest to keep my brain going and what else could I do and then applied it to the animals and after a few years, because I would just take a subject here and there, there'd be two or three hundred dollars. You know, gosh, the price has gone up for all these things lately, hasn't it? So Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they said, um, oh Elaine, you'll be a natu- qualified naturopath. You just have to do clinic and finish your nutrition. And I thought, oh yeah, I could do that. So I did that and got advanced um diplomas in um nutrition, Western herbal medicine, remedial massage, reflexology, blah, 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 all that stuff. So, so you forget that you've done all that when you just keep you know, plugging away and taking <laughs> subjects and just doing that. Because I remember when I was in central Queensland in Gladstone and we had a chihuahua um, that had hydrocephalus and I, I rang my surgeon professor that taught us at vet school and said, so I've got this hydrocephalus, what do I do? And he said, oh, you just put a shunt and I'll send you one. It's a elastic sort of a tube. And you just put a little hole in 
the foramen and then undermine it under the skin and then run it into the belly. So every now and again I go, oh, it can't be that hard, can't be brain surgery. Oh, that's right, I've done brain surgery, you know. <laughs> but you forget <laughs> you've done all this stuff, you know. You just you just yeah. figure it out. You just fiddle, right? So vets are amazing because you, you learn to fiddle. I do think the new grads are not willing to fiddle as much as we were because there were no specialists when I graduated. And I was isolated in a country town and there was no place for them to go. So you did DeAngelis fixes of cruciates and you just looked at the textbook and you figured it out, you know. You did the modified yeah. depths on the ear. You just did stuff because there was nobody else, you know. Right. So, so what yeah. does your practice look like now? So now um, it's – I yeah, because I, I kept getting asked by the owners of the dogs – oh, can you fix me? <laughs> um, and now I can. So my consults end up being quite long. And I tend to not charge for the human component, but most people in that small little room offload to you. You know, their husband's got this, mm -hmm. their has got this, they've got this. And so I've got um, a lot of the naturopath supply things that cross over for animals and people. And I, my consults tend to run a bit. The nurses get a bit annoyed with me. It's their job to knock on the door and tell me I've got another patient. So, <laughs> and there's been a lot of post COVID and a lot of post COVID vaccines. And because of, you know, animal wellness as a holistic practice, we get those people that are quote unquote the anti vaxxers and some that have been damaged. And my heart goes out to all these people. And so my practice looks like the dogs brought into me for one thing and it's often you know we have a lot of ibd we have a lot of cancer we have we have a lot of geriatrics that um mobility problems ivdd so we do the acupuncture and the axel therapy physiotherapy mats um we, and i use a lot of essential oils in that i make up trigger point oils along there so um, you know, those are really fun. We get dogs that haven't been able to walk for like three months and have been to the specialists and $10,000 later and, you know, they don't have any answers. And then we have a physio that works with us a bit, a human trained physio. He teaches the massage course with me and he'll say, Elaine, yeah. can you do that Jesus thing with this dog? <laughs> 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 oh, okay. <laughs> so you just find the trigger points, you know, like the tight muscles and you stick a needle in them and you use your TENS machine and you put them on the axle and you do a bit of acupuncture and kidney three, bladder 60 and governor vessel 20, governor vessel four, whatever, and you just find the tight bits and you release them. So I've many times have them come in not able to walk and then just walk out and they're like, oh, I've actually, the people that sell the axle therapy mats are, um, are happy that, you know, some of my clients that come in and I have them on the mat while I do the acupuncture because I think that helps vibrate the needle so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. I can put yeah. the needles in, put it on the mat, walk away, come back in, twiddle every now and again. So I can run to consult rooms that way. Um, and yeah. also have the the other staff out the back. We have a lovely Brazilian vet that's working with us at the moment, and so she can be putting the IV catheters in and then getting the blood drawn and getting that. So, yeah, having enough sort of ancillary staff at the back makes life work super well. Um, 
So my practice, I guess we do a lot of dentistry, at least one or two cases a day with the dental stuff, mostly periodontal disease, disease, but a little bit of orthodontics, um, you know, crown, crown height extension in the low canines and um, some some root canals, not not that many really, mostly perio, and and then geriatrics and cancers. So we do a lot of Chinese herbs and I like using essential oils as well and I'll make up topicals for that. Um, so, yeah, mixed bag and, and fixing the owners kind of at the same time. I do have a naturopath clinic upstairs, so I try to refer people to that because people really do need an hour or two hours long consult, you know, go over diet, nutrition and lifestyle and things for the owners. But I can get them started. Like very often people have, you know, fibromyalgia pain and a whole bunch of Hashimoto's and thyroid issues, both in in people and I think it's I think it's missed a bit in the dogs as well. Um I think the thyroid yeah. issue is a big thing, whether that's all to do with the BPAs and the poisons and the PFAS and the PFOSs, the the environment environmental pollution and what's what's in our food. I suspect that's a big part of it. And then the trace minerals that are now no longer in our soils. So I think iodine deficiency is commonly um, missed and and does happen particularly in places I think like you know where you are in Minnesota and if you're eating seaweed regularly and fish regularly you should have a reasonable amount of um, of iodine in your body but I do think a deficiency does happen um, so yeah so so that's my life kind of full-on kind of days in general but I do feel the need to um, to fix you know, people and their pets. So when I'm trying to fix the the pet, I, I'm drawn to the owner and they start talking to me. It's like a confessional, the consult room, isn't yeah. it? They find that. Yeah, it, absolutely. And and so you're, um, you're a social worker, really, as a vet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I don't want to leave without talking about your uh, involvement in, in organized medicine in associations and and uh, what you've gained from doing that like the Australian Vet Association is um yeah and yeah. the local groups i i do feel strongly that community is important for mental health um and we can achieve change within so i was president of the holistic vet group for a little while i was also secretary and president of the like the central queensland branch and and i organized workshops and conferences and things in that capacity um i and i do think it's quite quite important and right now i've been communicating with vet surgeons boards with um emails and letters because i'm aware of the rate of suicide and depression and mental illness that happens in the vet profession and i actually went to the ava conference in in may this year and they had a panel where the various representatives from all the different states and territories came to talk to the Australian Vet Association plenary. Um, and I raised the question um, about mental health and how the vet surgeons boards outrageous, I, I feel outrageous demands are affecting the mental health of the vet profession. And what are they doing about that? So it was quite, I was quite outspoken. I am outspoken. <laughs> so when I see something that I feel 
is wrong, I, I will try to address it and I will try to fix it if I can. Um, yeah, a little story about my family. My brother, after doing dentistry, went blind at the age of 28. Um, so I think it's been helpful that I was aware of mitochondria and supplementation and things like that. So far, I haven't gone, gone blind. Um, and so he, he retrained as a lawyer, a disability lawyer. And so he has achieved some change in his lifetime. He's also, he also got ducks of his law degree while being blind. And he also got a scholarship to go to Oxford and he did a PhD in um, disability law. So I think the Jewishness that comes through us <laughs> and the need to fix things and the need to make things right um, stands out quite strongly in our personalities. Um, so part of being a, a member of the associations is to achieve change for the better of the community that's involved. Um, and that's also why I, I feel that we need to run affordable workshops and affordable things. I mean, I like what social media is doing. I like what you're doing because you can learn a lot inexpensively. And, you know, so many young people now don't even necessarily want to or go to university and fix everything by YouTube, which I guess is a good thing. What will happen if the internet dies though? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but they're also becoming quite isolated because they're online and they're not mixing with people and since you know the COVID lockdowns and things that that has mentally um, affected people in a bad way I think we need to get back to community we need to get back to in-person dealing with each other and and mixing although I guess zoom and <clears throat> these podcasts are, are a good way <clears throat> excuse me yeah Sorry, did I answer your question? I tend to ramble. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a delicate balance, though, isn't it? The the benefits of yeah. distance learning and inexpensive learning versus in person communication and yeah. community. You're right. I guess yeah. I guess I do want to say that we can cut to the chase with a lot of things. So when I do teach my my two day massage course on animals, we have greyhounds that come in. Um, I, I use Dr. Tan's t balance technique. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Did you study with him? Oh my God, he was amazing, wasn't he? So yeah, I did not study, but I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. So, so I use the the puppet theory, which is you know you make a you make a fist, and where your thumb is, that's the lower jaw, and then where the thumb intersects with your index finger, that you know large intestine four, that's the master point for the face and mouth. And then the belly button, when you're using your your arm, is the the inner aspect of your elbow. And so you show people the puppet making making the fist, and your shoulder mm -hmm. is is the hip. So so those are I, I believe that's how acupuncture kind of started. You know, it was passed down that way. It wasn't it wasn't a four year course or you know. Um, and so you can actually get people to achieve results helping with pain and tightness in five minutes you know <laughs> not not yeah, in yeah. not in not in years and years and so I liked I like to be able to cut to the chase when I'm teaching people and and try to make it easy um so that you know none of us have the time to learn a five-year dental course or a three-year acupuncture course you know they're just not going to do it because life is busy. You do your vet course and that's it. So you think, well, I'll just have to advise owners to use this brand of kibble and vaccinate every year. And, you know, 
if if you follow what you were just taught at uni and not expand because it takes too long to study all these other modalities, then you're not going to expand and you're not going to get the bigger picture of how things can can work. So we need to, you know, we need to have the Karen Becker Shaw's Forever Dogs on podcasts, <laughs> yeah, things like that, and, and make things achievable and, and easy and not too expensive to learn, I think. And just keep passing exactly. the one. Yeah. I agree. Well, Elaine, thanks so much. I think that's probably a good spot. We've, there's a lot of things we could cover, but this is a good place to stop, I think. And I'm really happy that you were able to take the time in your early morning to uh, to speak with me. Yeah. Thanks for organizing it, Neil. And well done for, for running the show. It, it's and we're looking, forward to, uh, we're looking forward to your webinar for CIVT coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Have to get onto that. Put it together. Yeah. <laughs> Well, right. thanks again, Elaine. Yep. Thank you. Time for grandchildren. Excellent. All right. All right. Have a good day. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.